and welcome back to another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the sage himself, the Jewish sage, the humble sage, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. We've got a great show lined up for our listeners. We are going to be continuing our study on Jonah chapter 2. We've got a lot to talk about in the news, a lot of things happening in Israel. But first, we're going to start with a little cultural, uh, uh, a cultural aspect of Jewish life. I don't even know how to say what we're going to say, what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, let's bring our favorite song to a close. Welcome in, welcome in. The Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And Steve, tonight we have a very special event that you could still register for. It's called our Thank God for Israel Day. Our own Tim Munger will be doing his 51st Honor Israel Night. He started, of course, way before COVID, and they were all in various places, uh, mostly in churches, and had all kinds of, uh, of folks come, Jewish people, Gentile people, Christian people, uh, who came. Uh, but now he's doing it online. That means anybody can come. Anybody can and come. And so there's still time to register. I'm looking forward to it. Chris, Tim has always had a heart and love for God's chosen people and has always wanted to promote Jewish things mm-hmm. because of where his heart is. In fact, he was put on the board of directors of Jewish Walk for Israel in Detroit. One time when he came to register, uh, they said to him, wait a minute, you're you're not Jewish. He said, no, and you're on our donor list. Uh, <laughs> he said, yes. And they said, you, you've given to this event. He said, yes, regularly. Mm-hmm. I can't spit it out, regularly. <laughs> uh, well, to make a long story short, he's on the board. Yep. Uh, he was put on the board of directors, a Christian who believes that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and is not ashamed to say so, uh, was put on the board, and there was c- quite a ruckus. There was a ruckus. A ruckus. Mm-hmm. And uh, the president at that time stood with Tim Munger against other board members, saying, hey, he has never, he has never done anything for any of us to worry about in terms of uh, his belief trying to make us believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Tim Munger. I wonder about you. That's yeah. what the president said to another board member, and that board member, yeah, he left. Is gone. You know, um, Tim, like you said, he's done fifty-one. Thank God for Israel days throughout his many years of serving with Friends of Israel. I've been to them; they're fantastic events. The ones I've been to early on were live. And I remember, do you remember a couple of years ago? This was pre-pandemic. Tim had a vision of doing a Thank God for Israel day that would be broadcast into churches. Do you remember that? I do remember. He Well, he talked to me about it in concept. I ne- never got further, at least to me. It's something he really wanted to do. And then uh, by God's kindness, I don't even think Tim realized it because the pandemic just hit and everybody started doing it. But now he does that. People are going to be logging on. It's not just going to be a Michigan-focused, thank God for Israel day where he lives in Michigan. It's going to be people from all around the U.S. and Canada that are going to, from maybe all around the world, that are going to be joining in to hear from Daryl Heading, who is the deputy director for the ICEJ, the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. And uh, they're going to talk about support for Israel. There'll be Jewish people there, Tim's Jewish friends. There'll be Christians there, both coming together under the solidarity 
of the state of Israel. It's, it's a wonderful thing, and I'm glad it could be part of a quip. That's right. So that is uh, coming up this evening, November 2nd. If you don't get a chance to go, we understand, but we can you can watch it online later on. It'll be a great conversation with Daryl Heading. Um, and there are other classes coming up as well. We have Zionism with Paul Scharf in November—excuse uh, uh, me, Paul Pierce in November, and then also— Uh, In December, we're going to have a special guest, David Brog, the former executive director of KUFI, Christians United for Israel, talking about Christian Zionism, all of it around Christian support for Israel as we close out I'm looking forward to that, Chris, uh, as that's kind of the trifecta of uh, the last part of the year, these three last events for Equip. I'm excited about them. Uh, Steve, just about three minutes ago before we got started—actually, four minutes ago before we got started, um, I said, why don't you get your— did you know book out? Got it right here, Chris. Did you know? Did you know the <laughs> customs, the culture, and practices of the chosen people? It's a great, funny book. Emily Stone wrote it. Emily Stone. And, and we we get no uh, kickback at all, yeah. but it is a great little handbook. Amazon.com if you want to get it. But, uh, Steve, it's funny because we know that there's just going to be good content in there. It's easy content for us. It's uh, it's great content for us. You, and You were just flipping through the page. Ages ago, here it is, right here. This is what well, we're talking about. Well, it things that make us laugh. Yeah, I, I, you just have to laugh. Just the title, Kosher Cowboys. <laughs> well, I never heard of Kosher Cowboys before, but it's in this book, and it gives you a great historical perspective of something that happened in a unique period of time, uh, at least in my own history, because the bulk of immigration of Jewish peoples from Eastern Europe came between the years 1880. And 1915, 17, right, right, right around World War One, mm-hmm. and so those are my people, literally my people. I trace my ancestry through that immigration, as my four grandparents came from Eastern Europe and came to the United States. I could tell you, not one of those four were interested in being a cowboy, a kosher cowboy. <laughs> kosher, yes, kosher, we kept. Cowboy, no. Uh, <laughs> I, as the grandchild of one of them, I loved the Lone Ranger and Tonto. That I, I had a, a six shooter, uh, you know, holster. I uh, had a cowboy hat. All that in the fifties. Certainly, I did that, but not my grandparents. That would not have been them. But yeah, yet, you were a city slicker. You weren't a cowboy, and so were they, city yep. slickers. In fact, let me read this for you because it's great. So it's titled "Kosher Cowboys." As the first wave of Jewish immigrants was making its way to the Americas between 1880 and World War I, some 50,000 Jews fleeing the increase of pogroms in the Pale of Settlement came to Argentina. Check Hmm. this. A German Jewish millionaire and philanthropist, Baron Maurice de Hirsch, bought enormous swaths of land in Canada, the United States, and Argentina— with the idea of the Jews going back to their roots and living off the land. And so each family took over a hundred-some-odd-acre plot of land in Argentina and began farming and raising cattle. As time went on, 16 Jewish colonies formed in Argentina, each with Yiddish as the primary <laughs> language. New? What's with the horse? <laughs> ay, I could only, ay, 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 my horse, he, threw, right. his, he threw his hoof and uh, da, da. Ay, ay, ay. The schlemiel, ay. the schlemazel. The only glitch in this otherwise perfect offer was that the Jews of Eastern Europe were often scholars, n- uh, n- not my side, 
<laughs> Rabbis. What's your line? No. What's your line about high school, graduating from high school? Top 10% of the lower third of my class. <laughs> That's right. And merchants, that would be my people, found it difficult to adapt to this new outdoorsy lifestyle. Thus, they began opening stores yep. and eventually migrated toward Buenos Aires. Right These, to the city. Right to the city. These days, the communities have dwindled considerably. But the legend of Gauchos Judios, <laughs> Jewish cowboys, endures. That is amazing. That's in Did You Know? You know, I'd love to read some of those legends of the Jewish cowboys <laughs> roaming around on their on their horses in Argentina. Hey, when I was, I, I know I went trick-or-treating once as a cowboy, and Everybody could just take one look at the nose. I know that's a stereotype. I have my little cowboy hat, my six-shooter, and a nose out like Pinocchio. Oh, there's a Jewish cowboy. <laughs> I'm just imagining those cowboys roaming around, uh, you know, trying to catch, you know, their cattle, rope their cattle, and they're saying, Is anything okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were. I, you think complaining was a part of the cowboy oh, way? Oh, complaining. Oh, the dust, the dirt, <laughs> the coffee. Uh, get Get, let's with the food here. The food stinks here. <laughs> We're going to the city. We're worried about kosher. I, I'm worried about eating. <laughs> oh, that was good. I'm oh, glad that'd you be found. great. Well, you know what though? It does beg uh, the conversation really quick about the fact that that is the history of Jewish people in Argentina, and there's still a very large Jewish population in Buenos Aires today. And we actually have representatives of the Friends of Israel who are actually. Um, doctors, physicians, and they provide free medical care to anybody in Buenos Aires, but they're right in the heart of the Jerus uh, the Jewish section of Buenos Aires. Well, you know, Chris, all kidding aside, and we we, are, we do make fun of all this in a, in a good spirit, Mosesville, there's a town called Mosesville just outside of Buenos Aires, and that's not far from where our clinic is. That's right. I remember the days when David Levy worked with the Espinosas to make that happen. And indeed, when he came back, I thought he was joking. I'm, they named the town Mosesville. Yeah. So we have Jewish cowboys, kosher cowboys, and, oh, where are the Jewish people? Oh, they're yeah. in Mosesville. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> they were going to the, uh, they, you know, they'd ride their horses into Mosesville, <laughs> tie up their horses. They'd go to the saloon. Spit into the thing. That's what I'm they envisioning. They walk into the saloon and the bartender says, so is anything okay? That's right. Is anything okay? What are you having? Well, I can't eat any ham. I'll, I'll take a hamburger or something like that, you know. Uh, but this is important because actually uh, we've learned over the years about the impact that the Lord has in that in our Argentina clinic for, for people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Espinosas are, they're, I, I believe, a cardiologist. A general practitioner, uh, 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 dermatologist, a dermatologist. They train surgeon. Surgeon. They train nurses uh, in Argentina. They, they do Bible studies, and they say it's always easy because when someone's there for their physical needs, it's always easy to have a conversation about their spiritual needs. So you know, Chris, it's interesting that if you go to Argentina and talk to the people, the first thing you say, "Wait a minute, what? Why would anybody need a clinic in a country that has?" National health care, mm -hmm. right? Don't they? National health care. Except there's one problem. Yes, everybody has a card. Everybody. And everybody has national uh, health care. But nobody is getting care. That's right. The wait to get a doctor if you called for an appointment is so long, it's unbelievable. And when they call our clinic, they hear about it. Uh, it's, it's run by Friends of Israel. It's free. 
They have an opportunity to come, and we treat them, and they wonder, what's what's going on yeah. here? How is this possible? What's the shtick? And they, that's a, I'm sure it's asked kind of that way. What is the shtick here? Mm-hmm. And they have a great opportunity to talk about what, indeed, our shtick, in mm-hmm. a good sense, is all about the Lord it's Jesus all Christ. About, it's all about the gospel. Um, and you know what? Uh, you know who was another person that uh, had a need and uh, was trying to help uh, or should have been helping people with a spiritual need was Jonah. He was he wasn't trying. He wasn't trying. He was trying to get away. That's right. Exactly. The Assyrians had a spiritual need, just like anybody who needs the Lord. I'm out of here. And and God said, "Go to these people. They have a need." And Jonah said, "No, thank you." And he and he left in the other direction. And that's what we talked about for Jonah chapter one. So, Steve, why don't we jump into Jonah chapter two? It's actually written Jonah chapter two. The majority of it is written in poetic form. It's it's poetry and it's a prayer. Um, as Jonah is in the belly of this great fish, uh, I'm sure we would all be praying. But it's this very, very beautiful prayer that's poetic that comes out of Jonah's mouth as he's sitting there, probably questioning his actions. Well, let's we 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 did chapter one, but let me just review just by saying the last verse of last two verses, or excuse me, last three verses from verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. We talked about that last week, Chris, Mm -hmm. as they who were uh, not God-fearers, uh, believing in one God, they became God-fearers through this testimony, a negative testimony yeah. of Jonah, who at least, we learned, he told them, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and wouldn't you know it, bada-bing, bada-boom, they threw him in the water, and they ended up believing. <laughs> That's right. It's an amazing thing. And then, so he's thrown in the water, uh, the men feared them, and now verse 17, now the Lord had prepared, isn't that great? The Lord prepared. They threw him in the water, and while all this was going on, God was behind the scenes uh, getting the marching order of the great fish and preparing that great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And that's when Jonah prayed. Now, you and I were talking. You can ask our listeners, you know, what happened? We don't know. It doesn't say. You're here, and then... The fish closes its mouth. Are, he probably says, am I dead? Yeah. What? It's dark. It's all this stuff. Uh, uh, you, I wonder if the fish had indigestion with yeah. him, shooting <laughs> stuff all over the pl- chemicals. Warning, warning. There's an object that's not a fish inside. I can't imagine all this stuff. Go- the noise. What kind of noise? It's, it's quiet, yet you could probably hear indigestion on the part of the fish. It's crazy in there, and he thought, man, what is going on? And then it says, and he said, (laughs) I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Oh, God, you don't know. (laughs) You don't know the service I'm having here. I am am much afflicted. (laughs) That's that's the Yiddish. That's the Yiddish Jonah. (laughs) But you know what? It worked because it said, and he answered me. Yep. So in his affliction... God answered. That's a, boy, what a lesson. The whole thing to me, Steve, is a lesson of number one, I think as Christians, the 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 need to have grace for people who are in different walks of their Christian life. Because, you know, we're watching a man who was 
considered called by God to be a prophet, absolutely disobeying everything God asked him to do, and yet God is still using him, um, even in a passive way, you know, throw me into the sea, and then they all believed, you know. <laughs> it talk, it's not like he sat there and gave this great Billy Graham, you know, altar call moment. It was just, throw me into the sea, it'll go down, and they believed. And so, it, to me, it's not that I'm I'm telling people to be disobedient, but it's also... You can't rule people out. You can't. You can't say this guy's out for the count. You know, or he he's never capable of serving the Lord again. Or we might have said the same thing about Jonah. Oh, did you hear about Jonah? He got on a boat and went in the other direction. Ah, God can't use him. Well, God can use him. And even in his distress, God answered him. He didn't yeah. ignore him. That's important. And in fact, he cried. It's he cried out to the Lord because of his affliction, and God answered him. I that alone is God's mercy, his grace, mm. and his willingness to ride it out with us. Yeah. Uh, he, We're he, not in the belly of the whale, but there are moments, Steve, where we are, because it's not just a physical distress, it's a spiritual distress. I, I think I think that Jonah, through this whole thing, is wrestling. He is no wrestling. No question, no question. And doubting and frustrated, and God, instead of going, get over it, grow up, which is what I would probably say, get over it, grow up, and go do what I tell you to do to my kids— you know, God hears his cry, and that is something that says a lot about the character of our God. It's true, but if to me, it's humorous. So he's in the he's in the fish, he's in the fish. They threw him over, and in his prayer, it said, "You cast me into the deep. <laughs> you did this to me. I'm crying out to you. You're my hope, but you did this to me." That's right. The divine lots. It, it's the lots. just the way it was. You. Uh, so he says. Uh, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. That's probably in his stomach, and stuff is flying all over the inside. Mm -hmm. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Mm. There was a moment in this aggravation. You know, our people, we speak with our hands. We raise our voice. We are not calm people. We're, it's, it's just not in our DNA. And with all that stuff and all that uh, activity going on this, and not knowing what's happening, he still was confident. There was some sort of confidence that I'm going to get through this, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be back at the temple someday, even though everything is caving surrounding, in. Yeah. caving in all around. You know, um, I was telling you before we got started that I read a Jewish scholar, a Harvard Jewish scholar, John Levinson, on on this prayer, and the whole book was about God being a God who can bring the dead back to life. And I remember him talking about this the this beautiful prayer of Jonah. And how it's an illustration of him almost being lowered into his his casket, being lowered into the into the uh, hole. You know, the idea of him dying, and because it, it almost feels like that, the things are pulling no him down. He even says, "I was going into the realm of the dead, that I was being pulled down, and this was it." I. And, but even in the midst of him dying, that the idea of the waves coming down, things are surrounding him. He's losing his vision. All of these things. There's things are swept over him, and then it says, like you said, yet I know, even in death, 
like this idea of dying, I will see your holy temple again. And I, for me personally, I think he was thinking from a, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to see your holy temple again. And so, because then at the end there, it says that as all these things were going wrong, it said, to the roots in the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath he, uh, beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought me brought my life up from the pit. You saved me. And I think it's a it's a prayer of salvation. God, you saved me. I was dying. I was dying, and yet you saved me out of your kindness. He didn't realize that uh, Jewish people invented the submarine. <laughs> the fish. The fish. He took him down. He took him down. Down 100 feet. <laughs> That's right. He's going down. I, he felt every—I'm sure he felt every move of that fish. Oh, yeah. The fish had to come up to get—they throw him in the water. He probably wasn't in since God prepared the fish. He probably wasn't that deep. When this fish swallowed him, and I'm sure he didn't hang out, hang around up at the top, he swam down. He felt like this was it, yet there was this confidence in the midst of turmoil. And, you know, Chris, I wonder if that's the kind of peace and grace that God gives to people who are in these moments, mm. uh, life and death moments, uh, maybe somebody, a believer in hospice or or a person who gets um, going through a difficult physical thing, and they're at for, for however long they're in bed, uh, not able to move, uh, only able to think. You wonder, you know, do they feel the same way, and do they have that same confidence? I know we have it available to every believer mm-hmm. during that kind of time. This was a serious time for Jonah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how one line can change the whole. I mean, the whole thing is dark. It's you're really just, dark. It's dark. But then there's that one line, Steve, where I'm gonna see your holy temple. I, I'm confident of that, and it changes the whole dynamic of the prayer, and it casts it from depths of going into the realm of the dead and all this to life again. L'chaim. L'chaim. And that was the whole point of what the John Levinson was saying. He goes, God is the God. The whole Old Testament is about God being the God of life and not death, that God can even bring back to life the dead. And here's a prayer of someone dying, sinking into the depths of the sea, pretty much going, this is it, and yet God delivers. Do you think he thought about his going the opposite direction when God told him to go to a specific place. Do you think he thought about what did I do? Uh, that's what I was. That's what. Remember you and I, I was saying. Do you think he knew he was going to die? And in the midst of you know, you can imagine you're sinking in the water, and you're wondering, what did I? Was this the right decision to make? You know, I'm, we we have those moments. Oh, I bet. Yeah. It, I bet he definitely was in his head as he's sinking, and that fish that fish that God prepared didn't show up yet. But yeah, for sure, 100%. I, I, I wonder, you know, it's, it's just interesting. It's a great story about the great fish and the first submarine. Hey, <laughs> you know, can I play devil's advocate here for a minute? Because I hear this a lot. What do you say to somebody who goes, oh, come on, Steve, a big fish, it eats the guy, he eats Jonah, come on, this is, I get the story so far, it's nice, but then this fish comes out, it's like uh, the donkey with Balaam and 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 uh, and ba- Balak, and now all of a sudden the donkeys. Ta- you really believe in talking donkeys? Well, the, the donkey is one thing, and yes, I believe. It. I would say yes, I believe it. But this one has actually happened. 
Uh, we, we can't say, uh, we don't know what kind of fish this was. It's a great fish. But we do know that whales have swallowed people. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened lots of times, but yes, it has happened. It's documented that uh, a, a person has been swallowed by a whale and survived. You're not talking about Pinocchio, right? I'm not talking about <laughs> Pinocchio. I'm talking about a real whale swallowing a real person. And when that, uh, now, one of them, that, that happened more than once, as I recall, one of them came, when they found him, he came out mad. I mean, he was beside himself. It was, it, it, I, I, I don't know if they put him away. He survived. The others, all their skin was bleached. Really? Completely. They were white. That's why, uh, if you understand this, and assuming all the enzymes and all the thing of this fish went on Job, it's no wonder they repented. Could you see this guy walking through the streets? He's got no pigmentation. He's got, he's got the, the the smell of the fish is oh, around him, God. and he's repent. God, just God listen to, to the man. Just listen to him. Oh man, look at what happened to him. I believe. I believe. No, but I I yes, I do believe it literally. And don't listen to me. Jesus believed. Him. Yep, exactly. And and Jesus Jesus mentioned his name, talked about the event. Uh, so. God spoke the world into existence. After once you once you accept that, and I admit that that's a step of faith. As a, there's opposing views, uh, is is matter eternal or is God eternal? Mm-hmm. I'm going with God myself. But once that's possible, anything's possible for God, not for me or for man, but for God. So yes, I believe. That literally happened. You know, I'm glad that you said that too, and I was confident you would say that. But uh, you know, there's oh, a, you're going. Whew. I know. Good night. <laughs> you know, it's come on, Steve, help me out here. But there was a there's a, a Facebook uh, group that I follow um, of a very popular scholar, and it's called the. I, I actually can't stand the title of the of the of the group, but it's called the Bible for Normal People. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which means I'm abnormal. That's what it means, okay? But uh, but what they do is they try to essentially rob the scriptures of a lot of the miracles that happened and a lot of these um, uh, portions of what almost seems impossible, like Jonah being in a... To try to give a, a normal uh, interpretation, something that would... Uh the story means something else, and they're using it as an illustration. That's right. It's not literal. It's not literal. And Jonah, I'm, I'm sure they would say, "Oh no, Jonah was a real man, and he did, but he and he maybe disobeyed God." But they built this, fabricated this mythical story around him that involves a whale, or the same thing with the tonk, talking donkey. And so, what's what's interesting to me about these people, though, is that they are they consider themselves Christians, which I believe that they're Christians, and but they go. You can't touch the resurrection. You know, you can you can rule out the idea of uh of the talking donkeys and the and the and the and the big fish that swallows Jonah. That's fable, that's myth. But you can't touch the resur- the resurrection happened or or else Christianity falls apart apart. But I always every time they post something, I always put in very kindly in the in the notes, the chats down there for Facebook. Do you believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus, and they'll say yes. And I just think it's funny that you can believe that some random Jewish guy that comes out of nowhere can resurrect from the dead, come back to life, and then ascend into heaven. That is literal. But a guy that goes into a well, nope, that's too far-fetched for me, buddy. I always—they are Once you believe in a miracle of God, then you 
you've got to believe in all of them. That's right. That, it, otherwise, you can't believe in any of them uh, because you're the one determining which one is real and which one isn't, and God's the author of miracles to begin with. But isn't that the most ridiculous? It's, 100%. It, the reason it gets me is because the idea of uh, Rand, uh, Jesus, if you go back in that time, it's not like he was Caesar or some popular person. Jesus was was a Jewish guy from Nazareth, and he resurrected from the dead. That is out of the box crazy. If that was anywhere else in the story of the Old Testament, I'm sure, I'm sure they would go, ah, you know, that's that's a myth. But because it's the core essential part of the Christian faith, if you say it's myth, then all of Christianity falls apart. But you can't have, to me, you can't have one and the other. Oh, no, I look, I agree, Chris. And in the context here of chapter 2, at the end of verse 9, is just uh, five words, but five very, very important words. Mm. Salvation is of the Lord. That's, you know, when, when, Job is, uh, when Jonah is in that fish, when he thinks he's dying, when all this, this stuff up and down in the water, it's dark, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, he, his hope is to see Jerusalem again, but at the end of his prayer... Salva- he, when he tells God salvation is of the Lord, it said, so? It, in, oh, oh, good, salvation is of the Lord? Bingo! So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> Once he got to the place where he realized, oh, it's all of you, Lord. I made a mistake. Uh, salvation is your hands. That's right. Now you're back to your mission that you wanted to forsake. And the thing that's funny, too, if you think about it, is that, see, uh, Nineveh was several hundred miles inland from the Mediterranean, so we're assuming he... He took the sub. He took the sub, but the sub, the fish, dropped him off back probably where he started, in Joppa, and so where he left. So it's not like he just dropped him off in Assyria. He dropped him, or in Nineveh, he dropped him off right back there where where he was, where he started this whole journey... And now he's finally well, on his way. And the reason you say that is because of chapter three. That's exactly well, right. That's right. So, and we'll talk about that next week. That's, but otherwise, you say, wait, chapter two, how do you know that? You got to go to chapter three to find that out. That's right. Because chapter three, I don't want to get into chapter three, but so far, can I just say this? And I, I think this is so funny. This entire book is about Jonah. You know, it's so funny that the things, it's, it, I, I, always, I always read Jonah and think, what are the things I have to get rid of that? What are the what are the things that I focus on? This chapter one about Jonah, chapter two about Jonah. We haven't even gotten to Jonah's message yet. Why God called him? Everything is all. Everything else is about Jonah's selfishness. You know, this whole book is, but one chapter of four chapters is all about Jonah. And I think to myself, Lord, what do I do? I want if if I only have four chapters, do I want to spend three of them just about me, or do I want? Would I rather prefer one chapter? Where you use me, and it's all about you, and because this whole thing is just Jonah flees, Jonah's prayer, jo- you know, and it's all about his selfishness, and yet God still uses him. But still, I think, Lord, I don't want to do all that stuff. Just get me right to the point where I'm doing what you asked me to do. Well, we hope that for each one of us, uh, we hope for something like that. But in the culture we live in, the odds are, it's all about us. Oh, it's always about us. Yes. Yeah. So we all, it's, 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 Chris, this is great two chapters so far. It's been great. I look forward to chapter three. Jonah, the uh, Jewish cowboy. 
The Jewish cowboy. Did you know? Did you know? All right, Steve, why don't we move to the news? We've got some big, big news coming out of Israel. I'm not going to say it's breaking news, Steve. It's but It's not breaking news, but it is big it's news. It's big. You know, how big is it that in the last five years, there's an Israeli election? Yeah. That's <laughs> that, not big news. That's not big That's news. common these days. Uh, and and how, how uh, much of a comeback has Bibi made? Uh, oh. He's like the Rocky of politics. I mean, he's down, but he gets back up. That's right. And at, at least where we sit right now on this Wednesday afternoon with, uh, at least to our knowledge, about 86% of the vote in and counted. I know that as we're speaking, it's already evening in Israel, but about 86% of the votes tallied. Netanyahu. 86%, uh, but there's about 150,000 uh, mail-in ballots that are waiting to be... <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's next week, that's Chris, <laughs> when we talk about our election that's in the right. United States. That's but, right. We'll find out tomorrow morning who's going to win the election. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm joking. That's right. Uh, well, uh, at least according to the BBC and and according to uh, Israel, uh, Times of Israel... Uh, Likud gained 32 seats. Uh, that's Bibi's uh, party. Uh, Yeshatid, the future, as it's called, by Lapid, uh, his got 24. But uh, the other ones, religious Zionism, uh, National Unity, Shas, United Torah Judaism, those are all uh, very conservative and religious. Oh, that's a, it's crazy. And so those are going and to— And they're big. They're bigger they're now. They're getting bigger. Yeah. They are getting bigger. And so they're going to rally around uh, Bibi probably. But the thing about it is there's these two ultra-nationalists, uh, very religious. Uh, ben Gvir is one of them. And Bazelel, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Smotrich. Smotrich, yeah. Bezael uh, Smotrich. Yeah, they are, they are the ones involved in this party. And quite frankly, Chris, they're controversial in the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, the secular Jews, which really are the majority, it's weird because most of Israel's uh, voters are secular, but they're traditionalist and they're conservative because of the security of the country. And so they are trying to constantly put somebody in who, who will have the best defense uh, and security ideas for Israel. But in order to rule that, they need to have religious parties. And because of the coalition system they have, it's sometimes called the blackmail way of politics. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, okay, if you come to my, you come to me, Bibi will say, and they'll say, what do you give me? And they, there's different ministries that they can get, uh, education, finance, military, all these different ones. Uh and stuff that relates to uh, 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 going back to the land. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a problem because right now, if the, the folks that are the most conservative religious parties actually want to remove, if you're partially Jewish, you can make Aliyah. Yeah. And that's a controversial that's a big thing. One. That's yep. a big one. If you have one grandparent, you can go to Israel. Many of the Russian Jewish folks have gotten to Israel and out of trouble in Russia and stuff because of the law of return. So we're just, I'm bringing these things up. We don't know what's going to happen. Those are the issues. They haven't been able to solve them through the last several years. 
Uh, and BB would tell you, if he was honest, he would say, I don't know if we're going to solve them now. I got to put a coalition together. Yep. You got to get a coalition together. And so they're they're trying to they're going to try to put together another one and if they do according to the experts it will be 65 65 seats, seats is crazy i mean they haven't had 65 seats in that a while. Number, and it's important for our listeners to know too is that the Knesset is made up of 120 seats so whoever has the most seats which is the combination of various parties whoever can form the largest coalition is the ruling party uh, with that prime minister, which would be Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, the, the funny thing about Israeli politics is you can vote for, they voted for Likud, Benjamin Netanyahu's party, to be the party to rule, and 32 seats, that's huge. That's a large amount of seats of 120. Um, so now he gets the chance. The next step is this, forming a government, making sure you can fill in more than 60 seats so that the coalition is on your side. They've not had, you know, you don't, you don't think of it as that much, man. It's only five extra seats, but that's five extra seats uh, that uh, you know that help with uh, forming a coalition. They haven't had. I think the last one was sixty-one it to fifty-nine. It was, and four of them were Arab, uh, Arab seats. Yep. that were part of the coalition. I I can guarantee you this: if BB's in, there won't be any Arabs part of that coalition. No, 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 no. They won't want to be a part of that. In fact, the, the with the last government. Um, with the government that's on right, that's going on right now, that party Ra'am, which is the Arab party, the more Islamic party, they uh, actually went against their tradition of they like being in the opposition government just to go no thank you. Anytime there's a, a, a you know we we put forth this this bill, no thank you, we don't want it. You know they, but this time to get Netanyahu out, the Arabs said, all right, fine. We'll be a part of your party. And they still said bad things about their own coalition. <laughs> they still said it. So I know. It's, it's just a riot. Can I just add this, though, too, Steve? Merits, zero seats. Now, I know that means nothing probably to our listeners, but Merits is a That's very— That's first in a long time. Yeah, Merits is a very progressive liberal party, and normally they have a say at the table in politics, normally in the opposition, um, but— no seats. That means nobody voted for them, which means they and, do not go into the Knesset. And look at labor. What labor was the labor party was the founding, not majority, but had the largest constituents uh, in the in the birth of Israel. Oh, they dominated. I mean, that goes that history and of the for years. Yeah, that goes back to Ben Gurion. Uh, what's her name? Um, uh, who was the prime minister? Uh, what was her name? Where she's right behind you, uh, Golda Meir. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> are we good? The Jew and the Gentile. That's We're right. really good. She Johnny was a part of the spot. She was a part of the Labor Party. Now they're four seats. They're nothing. They're bupkis. And it, so it, anyway. It it Labor Party four seats is just that if you know the history of Israel, you say to yourself, Wow, this is they're not even a voice. You nope. don't even read about uh in international paper or international news, you don't read much about the Labor Party. And they were for decades. So much apart. Well, it's, but it's because Israel's not a socialist country like it was in that's the right. early years, that's right. which is what the labor party pushed. That's so. right. And now you have a conservative capitalist like Benjamin Netanyahu who can't, he will constantly win because of his political cachet. But enough about that, Steve. I'm moving on. All right. Ynet News. Where does new UK Premier Rishi Sunak stand on Israel and Jewish issues? That's the question Ynet Wants to know. It says, incoming British leader has shown willingness to discuss moving the embassy to Jerusalem, saying there's a very strong case 
which would imply UK's recognition of Jerusalem as Israeli's cap- as Israeli capital. Chris, that is big news. Yeah. Because the last prime minister, Aye. all of what, 44 days was uh, she in? Six weeks. Six weeks. She was she was studying it, and while she was studying it, she got bounced out. <laughs> You know, she didn't help me out at all because I think I did like two news spots on the radio, <laughs> one two eye on the Middle East on on Facebook, and then I think we talked about it here on the podcast about Liz Truss wanting to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Oh yeah, we put we all so our, excited. As an American, I put all my stock in this British Prime Minister and Bupkis. She let me down. Uh, she left after six weeks, but the good news is uh, her predecessor Rishi Sunak actually has a very pro-Israel, uh, pro-Jewish mentality as a Hindu, in fact. Uh, very much so. He said, speaking at a conservative Friends of Israel event in August, he said there's a very strong case for the move, which would imply the UK's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. He, uh, um, he, uh, according to this uh, article, Sunak seems to belong to a new generation of conservative party leaders who have shown themselves willing to diverge with the decades-long policies of the kingdom's foreign office, which is, Chris, widely perceived to favor keeping Israel at arm's length, not to anger the Arab world. Well, all that means is they're trying to appease Arabs uh, and have for a long time in their politics. It goes back, Steve, to pre-state Israel. They did this. They came out in 1917. The British government, the Balfour Declaration, said, we want to help the Jewish people establish a homeland in Palestine, which means that the, the, the king's government wants to do this. Everybody was excited. The British government was going to help the Jewish people, Steve. And then what happens? That was 1917. By the 1920s, late 20s, early 30s, the British had completely changed their tune because they did. They noticed what was going on in, in British Palestine, the mandate. And they were like, you know what? We don't want to cause trouble. So we're just going to side with the Arabs on this situation, which ultimately led to this an original two-state solution um, that goes back prior to the state of Israel being founded. And really, a lot of the the, the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict stems all the way back to the British appeasing the Arab world even before Israel became a state in 1948. And here's a guy that's willing to stand up and go, ah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Nothing new under the sun, Chris. Uh, when uh, commenting about the accusation of Israel being an apartheid state, he said, the apartheid claim is not only factually incorrect, but quite frankly offensive. Like any nation, Israel is not perfect, but is a vibrant, multi-ethnic democracy with a free press and the rule of law. It stands as a shining beacon of hope in a region of uh, of autocracies. Autocracies? Autocracies. What is it again? The top 10 10 of the lower 30? Autocracies (laughs) and religious extremists. Ay, Vazemir. We're only live, Steve. That's right. We're only live. We're only live. It's okay. Mark it up to me. Sunik's family uh, has firsthand knowledge of colonialism in Africa. He was born in Southampton, a city situated about 70 miles southwest of London. But his father, who is a physician, was born in Kenya and his mother, a pharmacist, was born in Tanzania. This guy comes from uh, well-educated genes. Oh, yeah. And she, he's richer than the king. He has more money than the king. Yep. Uh, and he seems, because of his background, uh, to be friendly to Israel. And it's 
it's a, a at least according to the articles, the these are familiarities between the two faiths, him being Hindu and the Jewish people, that those two faith groups will recognize, and it, in the Jewish community, that he'll have appreciation of what is to grow up, what it is to grow up in Britain, and uh, but with an identity of part of a minority religious and ethnic group. Uh, Look, part of this is covered over when we took our— Well, he wants to build a Holocaust museum yes, next to the Parliament building in yeah. London. It's, 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 you know what? This is what I love about this people. This sounds good. It sounds good. You know, it's, I, the thing I love about it is to think about—here's a Hindu guy. You'd think, I'm going to build a Hindu building in honor of not even just, just my culture, my people. But no, it, 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 he sees a concern in the United Kingdom about the rise of anti-Semitism— and he says we need to build a Holocaust museum near here, near in London, near the Parliament Building, to raise awareness about the dangers of anti-Semitism. And he's a Hindu. It just praise God, you know, praise God for that. He takes them in, he takes them out. He takes them in, he takes them out. So six weeks we had for the last one. She got to uh, come with Queen Elizabeth. Go out with King <laughs> King Charles, and now we got a new one, and this one seems uh, pretty good. Yeah, that is fantastic. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. I wanted to. I, I thought we'd have a rewind because it was just a couple weeks ago we were singing the praises of Liz Truss, and now we're we're talking about Rishi Sunak. I'm uh, telling you, Chris, the news is crazy, and next week we'll be commenting on if, assuming we do our Wednesday podcast, the election will be over by then. And we'll see what's happening in the United States. God is once again aligning nations for his purpose. He prepared a great fish. He's preparing nations. You know, uh, it's important, too, to think about the fact that, like you said, he's preparing nations and he's raising up leaders. And that becomes really important to how we understand how God is going to influence Israel and the Jewish people in the world, because that's really what the the Bible, I always tell people, the Bible is a magnifying glass on what was going on in God's land with his people. And so it's it, it's a global vision. God's global. The whole earth is mine, he says, but I'm choosing you, Israel, as a precious stone, a kingdom of priests. And so we get the magnifying glass down on the land, but we're also seeing how God uses the world uh, to accomplish his will. And they don't have to be believers like Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great did a great thing um, and uh, but he wasn't necessarily a follower of Yahweh, the one true God. He was he was a he's a polytheist. So anyway, well that segues, Chris. You are going to give us uh, not the oh yeah 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 wrong button wrong button. They look the same. They're kind of orange. Here we go, Chris. You were the one to pick out the Yiddish word for the day, and I love the word. Lay it on me. All right, here we go. The Yiddish word of the day is. Spilkis. <laughs> Spilkis. I just love it. Why don't you why don't you tell us about Bibi Netanyahu? That's right. And his recent victory, I mean recent victory, and how that word relates to say the last what, 2 years? Yeah, that's right. So you have to imagine you, you we are we in America are so uh, uh consumed with the fact that once a president is done after two after two uh terms, the president leaves. He's gone. Sayonara. 
Well, that's not the case. Not BB. Nope. And so BB moves from the prime minister to the leader of the opposition party. But while he was sitting there in the opposition party, Steve, <laughs> he's sitting there with Spilkis. Spilkis. Lots to Spilkis. Spilkis is impatient. Hey, Spilkis. It's kind of like, get the Spilkis off me. <laughs> it's kind of, what What does Spilkis mean, Chris? Spilkis is impatience, restlessness. I'm sure every time uh, Neftali Bennett said a word, Spilkis ran through Netanyahu. I'm sure the moment that uh, the Yeshatid party took over, and what was his name? Lapid. Uh, La- La- Yair, yeah, Yair Lapid started talking. Oh, you got the Spilkis. I got to get this guy out of here. And look, now Mazel Tov to Benjamin From Netanyahu. From Spilkis to Mazel Tov. <laughs> That's right. No more impatience, but I'm sure he had that as he was sitting so there. So say that word one more time, Chris. Spilkis. And you know what, Steve? Can we make it spiritual? Hey, we should have Spilkis. We should be impatient. We should be restless for the coming of the Lord. Waiting for his return with much spilkis. With all the spilkis we can muster up. (laughs) Okay, everybody, that's our Yiddish word of the day. Thank you so much. Spilkish it is. And let me just say this. You need to come tonight to our Thank God for Israel Day that's hosted by Tim Munger, having Daryl Heading, the deputy director for the ICEJ, the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. I have spilkis waiting for this event. I've got spilkis all over the place. Get the spilkis <laughs> off me. There's other things to be spilkis about. We've got other events that you can sign up for by going to foiequip.org. We want to thank all of our listeners for being a part of FOI Equip, for going to our website, for registering. If you want to be a part of our mailing list, just go to foiequip.org. There you can sign up. We'll send you insights as to what's going on, classes you can sign up for, and you can even listen to Steve, the Jew and Gentile podcast. Aye, 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 aye. That's right. Hey, spilkis, everybody. We'll see you next week.